So we are back. So we want to talk a little bit more. We discussed the CSE and what it was about and the SRA, sexual risk avoid avoidance. And Rebecca, towards the end, and Dr. Capola as well, I want you to share about that program. I know the Healthy Respect, Rebecca, you've been doing since 2014. And I'm sorry that I haven't sent my children. I have always wanted to. There's always been an issue, right? But I have heard great reviews about your program. All right. I really have. Um, and it seems to be worth its weight in gold. So we're going to give you guys some more information about that, guys. So stay tuned for that. But let's talk about this CSE and how it's going to affect us here in Trinidad and Tobago. And for the listeners within the region, because we do have listeners in the Bahamas, in Grenada, Guyana, Belize, other Caribbean territories, Barbados and stuff as well. So how would it affect us here in the Caribbean? Um, well, let me just say that CSE is not a foreign a foreign curriculum anymore right okay. or an approach to sexuality education anymore mm -hmm. um if you if you look closely within the region and you do your due diligence you will see that it's being offered privately um through family planning associations oh, so we, um, did, we did catch the cold so we huh? did catch the cold <laughs> <laughs> um long time <laughs> um uh perhaps in private schools, if you examine, because remember, private schools are not under the jurisdiction of the various government um, mm -hmm. curriculum development and implementation um, programs, right? So if we look closely, we would find that it's already there and the, it's all one um, curriculum, which is probably the premier CSE curriculum. It's, it might be in about 150 countries plus. It's already in the region and is already being used in the region. In terms of the, from the state's point of view, I think what's been happening is um, increased pressure for the government to begin to amend the HFLE or Health and Family Life Education um, framework to begin to accommodate the CSE approach, right? And so what this exactly is, is their approach to education? Because right. I attended the um, Contending for our Family and Faith conference that you guys did a couple, about a couple months ago now. Yeah. And I heard some things that had my jaw on the, on the floor. Right. So, like, you know, if listeners want a good overview of what um, CSE can contain, they could look at the War on Children documentary or go to stopcse.org. There is a lot of um, resources, both internationally and from the region. I think there's even some Jamaican material that's on that website that people can access what what this what the hfl what they're doing right now so the hfle framework is health and family life education it was developed uh, it, it, the first stages of it might have started maybe more than 10 years ago right um there was a there was a ministerial declaration um, I can't remember the year, but all the ministers of education in the region got together in Mexico and signed off on this ministerial declaration that sex education would be a priority in the region. But you see, when they say sex education, they are leaning towards comprehensive sexuality education. When Dr. Capola and I and other experts that are interested in optimal youth, child and youth development, we're talking about sexual risk avoidance and risk cessation. Okay, so, so I just, you know, I don't want people to go away with the idea that we are saying we should not be talking about this to our children. It's what we are saying and what model we are using. So the CSC model seeks to redefine gender and social norms. And they say it very clearly, right? 
um, so, so it's about dividing um, biology or sex from gender, right? So that's one of their underlying uh, goals in those curriculum. Um, as Dr. Capola shared, it's about risk reduction. So it's about saying, look, we, we think that young people don't have the capacity or should not have the, um, should not even be told that they ought not to have sexual freedom. It's right, about sexual right. freedom, right? It's about promoting free sexual expression at every stage of a child and youth development without restraint, without um, consideration for your health or other people's health, um, without parental involvement, without parental say, without even religious views or values. Um, if, you, if you look at um, some of their materials, you would see that they challenge two things, parental involvement, as well as um, religious, the role of religious um, doctrine or, or the church or any other religion, wow. Islam, Hinduism, in, in the world of sexual expression, right? So there is this um, desire to rewire or remake or reconstruct society, if you, if you understand, through yeah. the schools. And, and they, say, they say, I'm using their words, not mine. They say that the schools are the best entry point through which to promote CSE. Wow. So our thing to the listeners is that, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I frankly, I'm being honest, I don't know what the line by line plan or program of implementation is, but I know that it is already in our region. What I'm more concerned about, and I think Dr. Capola would definitely share this view, what we are more concerned about is not what we are against, you know, what mm -hmm. are we for? Are we going to commit to building a new reality for our region and our children? I, I don't know that I want to spend hours upon hours, days upon days, and weeks upon weeks battling with someone about what, what I'm against based on a health epidemiological standpoint, right? I don't, I don't know that I want to wear myself down in that battle. Where we want to invest our time and our energy and our resources is in equipping you as parents, equipping faith-based groups, equipping community-based groups, equipping the teachers, the youth leaders, the advocates, the ones that are saying, we want to fight for a Caribbean that truly builds the whole person, mm -hmm. that truly attends to human flourishing, that truly attends to building the family. And as Dr. Capola said, the, the statistics are there. When young people are engaged in sexual activity at younger ages, the likelihood of healthy family formation declines. That is extremely important. Yes. What Caribbean society do we want? This is the underlying question. What Trinidad and Tobago do we want? And the thing about it is, we, it's just like building a house, you know, Nikki, right? Mm -hmm. You want a house, you first start with a plan. Mm -hmm. What's my plan? What is this going to look like? You know, you pick your property, you, you invest in it, you start with the foundation. Mm -hmm. You don't just build a building ad hoc. It will fall okay. apart, it will crumble, it will not be able to bear the weight of occupation. Yeah. A, a country is only as strong as the families within its borders. That's correct. A church or a mosque or a, or a, or a temple is only going to be as strong as the families within that um, religious organization.
So we have got to begin to pay attention to what's happening with the family. And, and the, the family is, is the superstructure, but the foundation is risk avoidance. Mm -hmm. If we can teach our children to delay sexual debut, we are setting them up with a strong foundation for life. That's what it's about, right? So, you know, my, th and, and, and we didn't even get into this, but behaviors cluster. It's not even just about sex. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's, Dr. Kapoulin can behaviors. talk about that. Right. It's all, it's all risk behaviors. And we, we don't have a problem with giving a message to delay alcohol use, to avoid illicit drug use. Yet we say that youth can't avoid sex until they're in a place where it will be much healthier for them. But I wanna talk for a minute, Rebecca, you were talking about this confluence of sort of the, what the churches, mosques, temples, parents, community leaders can do. And, and that's really what risk avoidance is about. It is a positive youth development approach to creating a safety net for youth. And we spoke last week a little bit about brain development and how a young person's brain is not developed until they're in their mid twenties, right? Yeah. And so the goal is to create a unified message that provides a safety net for youth so that as they go through the tumultuous years of adolescence, they have guidance to make the healthiest decisions that set them on a path towards success. And we talk about healthy relationship formation and Rebecca talked about, you know, sort of building this house and needing a foundation so it doesn't crumble under the weight of the occupants. But I want the house to be stronger than that, right? I want the house to be able to withstand the storm. Mm -hmm. And the house cannot withstand the storm when we are engaging in risk behaviors at a young age that have long-term psychological and physical consequences that impact our futures, right? Yes. Many STIs we know can lead to infertility and sterility. And then years later, when folks wanna have a family and they can't, there is regret over the choices that were made. Yeah. One of the things that I do wanna say about comprehensive sexual activity, uh, comprehensive sexual sexuality education is that we have to, and, and as people of faith, we are taught to accept all of God's people, right? So we have to accept diversity. What we don't need to do is encourage experimentation in young people. And to me, that's the most worrisome thing about the comprehensive sexuality education is that they are encouraging young people to experiment with their sexuality so that they know who they want to be. Yeah. If we are accepting of the fact that people are created as they are, and these are not choices, but who people are, then why do we need to experiment? Exactly. It's just so simple and so blatant, but somehow we can't see it. Yeah. People just can't see it. All of a sudden, everything is everything and everything is acceptable. Right. We, we need, to, we need to build a society where we do accept diversity, but mm -hmm. we're not creating um, youth who are questioning because they don't feel a need to experiment. And I think that's the most alarming thing is exactly. that 
you're giving these young people so many choices it's confusing that's and it's one. not just young people it's children well yeah because, some, because the, the curricula well you know the curricula starts some of the curricula starts from the age of three mm -hmm. and four and if you look at some of the guidelines even coming out of europe and some of the you know technical guidance on sex ed um it talks about you know zero to four and you know activities that um you know masturbation and so on from zero to four is this really i mean you know you as dr kapula says what are we actually doing we are not allowing children to naturally develop along their own path guided by their parents and other trusted adults in their lives guided by their culture guided by their religious norms and values etc if we just allow that to happen they will eventually blossom into who who they are Right. right, but we're and, not allowing and, and it. And once happen. they blossom, then we accept them for who they are, right? Yeah. But I, I think that goes back to another thing that we talked about last week, Rebecca. Right, and I would encourage your viewers to look at um, the fact that if someone is not allowing you to see the curricula and programming that they're going to be introducing to your children, that should be frightening. Yeah. Um, Rebecca talked about the age appropriateness and we did a review, um, myself and, uh, Lori Cookendall from the Medical Institute for Sexual Health did a review of some of the CSE curricula guidelines that are being moved forward in the Caribbean. And the most disconcerting thing is how inappropriate for certain age groups some of the guidelines are. Yeah. And how we're talking to children about things that they can't necessarily even process or understand. Mm -hmm. And so I know for me, one of the things I pointed out was especially in that three-year-old age group, we shouldn't be teaching youth about how to have sexual pleasure. We should be teaching them about how to report someone who is trying to teach them how to have sexual pleasure. Exactly. Exactly. At that age, the children just want to play a ball. They want to, they want to kick a ball. They want to just exactly. climb a tree. I mean, I have children in every age group. I have two <laughs> adults. I have teens. I have young children and I have toddlers. Okay. I'm a right across the entire diaspora right now. <laughs> and I cannot imagine for a moment that my toddlers or my young children are thinking about or experimenting with masturbation. They're not thinking, thinking about it. That's just the whole point. That not only happens if somebody imposes it, you know? Exactly. Yeah, if it's taught. Why trying to rob the children of your innocence? Yeah. That right. is what it's about to pervert them. Then but mess I, them up. And they, then ultimately, like you said, the family will be broken down. But I think one of the things we're, we're missing is that, yes, young children at different stages in their life will do things to, you know, that make themselves feel good and it passes. We don't Correct. need, it, these are natural things. This is what Rebecca was saying. It's natural. We don't need to yes. teach someone. Or even put a label onto it. Right. right? And I, like put a label, put it in a box and say, this is who you are. And, you know? and this is what you should be doing at this age and whatever. Yeah. But I, I think it's really it's really critical for us to process what we are doing when we introduce these discussions in young children. Because when we start talking about 
uh, normal behavior and this is expected and how do we then teach that child about consent? Because we have started the conversation too young yeah, about exactly. normalizing sexual activity. Then how do we go back and say, well, why didn't you tell me when so-and-so touched you? Well, exactly. because since I've been two years old, you've been telling me that this is normal. Right. Exactly. And so that was my point was that the discussion the line. Right, mm -hmm. with the discussions with young children should be about how do we make sure that we are providing safety nets for them so they can be honest with us when they are in situations of risk? Um, because I think that that's going to do a lot to help move society towards being in a better position physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, socially, and intellectually. That we need to encourage a healthy framework in the youth that we serve and not expect that normalizing sexual activity from a very young age is what's going to put people in the best place as they move forward and mature. Right. Yep. That's Normalizing right. pleasure and sexual activity. Yeah. Yeah. Just recently, uh, maybe about a couple of months ago, Kiara just turned five this week on Monday. She's four. She's the most princess-like little i call i don't say drama queen she's a drama enthusiast right but she is just also dainty but she loves to be rough and rugged with her brothers right she knows exactly when to be soft and when to be rough and rugged climbing the trees and everything with her older brothers and and jesse came to me and he says mommy kiara says she's not a girl that she's a boy now we haven't had this conversation about what people are saying and so forth um not a, that's 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 we haven't had a discussion with the little ones as yet right so when he came and he reported it to me i was like well that's strange that he would say that anyway um but at the crux of it it wasn't that kiara wanted to, to do a sex change that wasn't <laughs> it it was simply because they were playing a game in the room and they said no kiara it's only for boys and right. so she decided well i want to be i'm a boy <laughs> that was it it wasn't and that's how kids are <laughs> right and, and that's why I'm saying encouraging experimentation instead of letting people just evolve to who they're exactly. going to be. You know, otherwise, well, um, does it mean that, that everyone who is a tomboy wants to be transgender? I would think not. But does that mean that, you know, as adults, we make decisions. We can't make decisions when we're four years old. Exactly. Um, and, and you will look to the research out of John Hopkins University that has delayed um, doing any sex change operations in young children because they can't make those final decisions no, and then and you can't it. reverse. They don't, their brains don't mature until 25 in women and 27 in men. Right. That makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> so why would we allow people to do these things at 12, 13, and 14 years old? And you don't hear from the people who did it and then they come back years later and said they made, they made a mistake. You don't hear, you hardly hear the them, you know, tooting the horns of those people who come back and saying, you know what? They don't promote those. They just promote the ones who are living their best lives who are enjoying their transgenderism and all the different things, but you don't hear from the ones who are saying, you know what, I made one of the biggest mistakes of my life. If I can go back in time and change it, I would. You know, so we wanna wrap up um, doc, uh, Dr. Capola and uh, Rebecca, but is there, Rebecca, I want you to talk about the Health Respect Program, just for the local listeners, 
I mean, and everything is happening virtually these days. So even people throughout the region and internationally, they want to be a part of it. And Dr. Capola, whatever programs you offer as well, I want to give you a few moments just to talk about it so people can, you know, if they're interested, definitely follow up. And I will put the information in the show notes, your telephone number, your um, email address, contact information, that kind of thing, so that they could get in contact with you if needed. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I would say if you are listening and you are a parent or a teacher, a trusted adult, and you say, look, I have some teenagers in my life or in my circle of influence, and I would like Help. them to be exposed. <laughs> I would like to teach them an evidence-based risk avoidance health curriculum. Okay. It's not that it's, it's not from any religious perspective. It's applicable to every single youth, regardless as to where they are um, or what their histories are or their backgrounds, family situations, etc. They don't even have to not necessarily homeschool as a, you know, any child. Right. So they just need to call me how, one of the strategies that has worked in the past is a couple parents would get together and say, look, Rebecca, between us, we have about 15 young people. Could you, you know, and that way what happens is those parents and those children that already are connected in a community get the same message. And even after the class, they continue on to reinforce. And um, to hold each other accountable. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So they can reach out. And I would, you know, certainly work with them to plan the best days and times and so on and so on. How long is the program for and how long um, in terms of length of days? Weeks? Yeah, so we have 20. On average, we need, if, if I'm doing it during the week, we need about, let's say, three hours a day. Okay. Three hours a day and we could do it in a week. I could do it weekly over a couple of months. So it can, it can take a variety of formats, but essentially I would need about 24 sessions. Okay. You know, so and and the the how we how we line up those sessions, it's it's flexible. Depends okay. on the parents' schedule and or if they say look, we want to do a half day Saturday, then maybe we could do four Saturdays. It it can vary. Okay. Um, the important thing is to make the contact and mm -hmm. to say look, I want you know this risk avoidance um, to be taught to my children. And what is the cost attached to it, Rebecca? If you have a cost that you're willing yeah, to yeah, it's three hundred per teen, and I don't even like to use the word cost. I think it's an investment. investment. Yeah, I <laughs> because one sit down family meal at KFC probably or takeaway meal now that we're in COVID is three hundred dollars, <laughs> right? Yeah, and you know you do that for for one teen <laughs> and you set them up for the rest of their life. I, I you know I don't have time to read all their comments, although I have a few here. But if I if I, you know, show you their comments, you'd see why. Well, I think if you could put them on a flyer for me, Rebecca, I could definitely, once I air this, I could put it up um, with the, with the flyer. That should yeah. help. And then Dr. Capullo can talk about the training that's coming up in October and okay, February. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have two trainings coming up, one in October and one in February. The October training will be for those who want to be able to deliver the sexual risk avoidance program. The Healthy Respect Program will do a training over three Saturdays in October. And again, um, we can share that information. Mm -hmm. But the goal is to teach those who want to be able to deliver the program how to go through the program, how to encourage youth to make healthier choices, how to understand the, the program model, and delivery methods so that you can then deliver the Healthy Respect program. In February, the training will be really about doing a very deep dive into understanding the sexual risk avoidance approach so that we can build a cadre of folks 
who can define this. And one of the things that I will say that has been problematic in having discussions of this sexual risk reduction versus sexual risk avoidance is that people do not understand uh, the intricacies of the differences and how one is an optimal health approach and one is not. And so we will unpack how to have those discussions, how to engage in conversations that really move the message forward rather than having um, sort of this dynamic where we are just arguing without making a valid case, really understanding the difference between making this about epidemiology and not just ideology, about the importance of talking about a risk avoidance approach from a scientific method rather than just from a values-laden perspective, right? We're, we're bringing this all together, as I said earlier, to have this positive youth development approach and this safety network. So the training in February will be about really understanding the risk avoidance message, being able to articulate it properly, and being able to engage in conversations in a meaningful way about why this approach is better than a comprehensive sexuality education approach for the youth of our nations. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So the information for both of these seminars, webinars, guys, will be in the show notes. Um, and I want you to get in on that, especially the one where we could have, an, the thing is most of us want to argue, but we don't have any evidence upon which to base our <laughs> argument. We love to quarrel, <laughs> but we must have the evidence because this world is very evidence-driven these days. And I mean, rightfully so in some, in some regards. There's some things you just can't go by faith and some things you just have to know that you know. And this is something you need to know that you know, because you have to have a leg to stand on. You have to be able to stand up for what you believe in. And we don't want to be fighting, as Rebecca said, you know, fighting about why. No, we want to be able to say this is the better way. Let's just choose the better part. So we'll be putting all the information, contact information and so on in the show notes, guys. I'm looking forward to, I'm going to be sharing your, the flyer that you sent to me, Rebecca, for Dr. Coppola's training. I'll be sending it out to my leadership in my church and otherwise, um, because I do think it's important. Um, the Bible talks about a workman having his tools and being able to stand up for what he has to do. And so we need to do that. Ladies, yeah. I want to thank you so much for spending some time with me yet again um, on this beautiful Friday morning. <laughs> I really do appreciate the content that you shared with us. And I hope that the listeners would have, you know, left, you know, with their eyes wide open. Joe's probably on the floor like mine was, but um, feeling equipped that, okay, there is something that I can do. I could get of my course, children yeah. the respect program. I could get training so that I know exactly what I'm standing up against, et cetera. Somebody was saying yeah. something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to be hopeful and positive. I mean, there's a lot that we can do for our children and I've seen it firsthand, how well they respond to being told that they can make the healthiest choices. That's right. And, and how to do it, the tools. And you know, Dr. Capola spoke about the tools. I, I can't overestimate that enough the reason being and i want to say this not every speech talk workshop or class necessarily gets the job done okay mm -hmm. to be able to teach risk avoidance it's not just about a message it's a methodology it's a way of life it's skills that we're imparting there are four to developmental assets that teens need to have to ensure that they can make the healthiest choices. So the more of those assets they have, the better equipped they are to make the healthiest choices, regardless as to what's going on around them. 
right? Yeah. Including social media and, oh, yeah. and media. So yeah. the, the goal of this curriculum and why Alpha Center went with this curriculum is because it gets the job done. By the time your teen goes through that curriculum, you can be pretty much certain that you've given them the tools to make the healthiest choices. And that's what this is about. It's not, as Dr. Capola said, it's not an ideological platform. We are not trying to pick fights with anyone. We're not trying to even win arguments with anyone. All I'm concerned about is that we build healthy young people and healthy families. They deserve a good life. They don't deserve an STI. Come on, you know? They don't deserve to, to live with HIV for the rest of their life. They don't deserve a compromised education. They don't deserve a teen pregnancy. You know, they don't deserve the things that can give them a lesser quality of life. Yeah. And that's well, what we're sure. fighting for. Exactly. Yes. To Absolutely. teach them teach them that they are not only worthy of making the healthiest choice, but capable of doing it. So it's and about empowering them, the them. Yeah. empowering them to own the decisions and to have the skills to carry through on those decisions that exactly. they have made. Awesome. All right, ladies. Thanks so for having us. Both programs are very, very successful. <laughs> and with my pleasure chatting with you both today, I really do pray God's richest blessings on you, on your families, and on the work that you're doing. May you get a lot of fruitfulness from the work of your hands and the fruit of your lips. Yes. Let it prosper and bring forth much return in the lives that you are speaking into. Yeah, that is my prayer for you both. Thank you. Right. Thank you, You're Nikki. Bye. So take care. God Be bless well. you. Bye. Bye. -bye.